Hello, welcome to the Film Geek Collective. Today we have two very special guests, Hamish Downey and Felicity Tillack. Felicity Tillack is the director of Impossible to Imagine. Hamish Downey is the producer, and he's going to direct his future project, which is coming out this year, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited! <laughs> um, anyway, but it's called uh, Matcha and Vanilla. So, hi, how are you both doing? Hey, hi. I am doing well. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. What about you, Hamish? I'm doing pretty good. Um, yeah, it's, it's getting a bit hot down here in sunny Japan. Oh, I forgot Japan was. I forgot Japan was in summer. Yeah. Not the. I, I can never quite memorize my shout out list, so I had to just look through Twitter briefly. Um, let's see what we got. Just scrolling past my, uh, you know, I re- I actually retweeted because I was so proud for Elliot Page. You know, he's really, oh, yeah, yeah. he's really happy. I, mm. I love him. Mm-hmm. All right, shout outs. I always do the shout outs. They take about a minute. I apologize in advance. Um, Tessie Cat, My Son Sing Company, LC Cool Film, Mom Tix, Zach Scott, My Bay, Unicorn Fizz, Popcast. Yay, that's, that's us. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, W-rated podcast, uh, Real Sharks, aka Riva Sharky, sent from IJ, Contrera, which, by the way, um, Contrera, you requested the female filmmakers one, and this is that, kind of. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Um, also, um, hang on, it's loading, it's loading. What is it doing? Ah, she's slashy, Nick Chris White, Apple Park Films, Lockluster Video, Eloisa Hilton, Autistic in Melbourne, Naked Airplane, Tika Barino's Cinematis Podcast, Larry, Films with Amy Zeus, Caution Spoilers, JGWR, Heavenly Imagine, Also at One, Still Mellow, and Eric's Lust. All right, that's all. And I say that... How do you say say it so fast? He could be an auctioneer. I... <laughs> and I'm wondering what to sell the original film reel of this film off to. I'm going to sell it 100, 200, 300. <laughs> 500, going, going, going once, going twice. Sold to the person in the back. All right. That's it. You're hired. You're hired to sell my film. That's it. <laughs> yeah, like like Amish, you've you've said that before, and I I totally agree. I mean, mm. if I if I was interested in auctioneering, I totally could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, Sotheby's. Real estate, are you listening? <laughs> I mean, we need something to fund future projects. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, but uh, okay, so let's get into um, the film, Impossible mm. to Imagine. Felicity, what in, what inspired you to make this film? Ooh. Oh, uh, that's a good question. So a lot of things, actually. There's a few different um, things that inspired me. One was I'd done a documentary called Third Culture Kids and I'd interviewed uh, a few people who grew up in Japan but weren't Japanese um, ethnically and didn't have a Japanese passport but they'd lived in Japan their whole life and they didn't know where they they fit in because you know they're not Japanese but their parents company their parents countries aren't home either so I'd done this documentary and then I've been in Japan for a while. I've been working in international schools for a while. I've been working with kids who are similar. They don't really know where they fit in, but they might be biracial. They might be bicultural. Um, And my husband's Japanese, so one of our future plans is to have kids. Mm. So, yeah, I guess the primary inspiration was how how will their life be? How well will they fit into Japan? so I wanted to I wanted to find out more about the bicultural biracial experience. I did that by interviewing 
people like William, who's the main actor in the film, and others. And then I wanted to make a film that's asking this question, you know, where's Japan going, particularly、um, when it comes to multiculturalism and,、um, yeah, and a shifting identity. Ah, okay. I mean, I've, I've,、uh, I've heard of.、Uh... You know, like,、uh, it's, it's interesting to know that.、Uh, yeah, it's interesting to know that. Also, I was thinking、um, with、uh, the. There's one film I've not seen, but apparently, I, I'm not sure how popular it is in Japan, what people in Japan think of it, but、um, I hear Lost in Translation is about to,、uh, mm. I think, people from America who go to Japan. Yeah, it is. It's,、um, it's you know, about Bill Murray and.、Um, Help me out, Hamish. Call it Johansson. Thank you.、Um, they're both in Japan. I think they're kind of disaffected with their lives and they、mm. kind of meet up in a hotel and、um, have a moment. Yeah, I think that's it. I, it's been a very long time since I watched it. And,、mm. But um, um,、yeah. the, those guys、uh, compared your film to Lost in Translation, so it's not, a, not the、I、first time that that's happened. I wonder why though, because I think, other than the fact that it's set in Japan, I don't, post, I don't personally see a lot of connection. So it, was, it was wonderful to have my f- film compared to something that <laughs> you know, Sofia Coppola made.、No. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of the Lost in Translation, Hamish? I, look,、um, wow, that's a big question.、Um, so I would say the connection to your film, in my opinion, is the fact that. You know, it's filmed in Kyoto, and then there is that Kyoto scene in Lost in Translation where it has that beautiful air music. And I think Jeremy Lin and Hanako and the people who did the score on your film,、mm-hmm. I think they've given it that kind of similar romantic feel. So I think that might be the connection.、Um, but, like, as Lost in Translation as a film itself, I.、Uh, It's, I, I don't know, you're probably the same as me, Felicity, but like I watched Lost in Translation before coming to Japan.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I've watched it after coming to Japan. And I feel like I had a totally different reaction. Yeah. I, I haven't rewatched it. I'd be interested to rewatch it now that I've been here for a while. But、mm. yeah, I watched it before I came to Japan because I was. Just, you know, everything Japan, Japan, Japan.、Mm. Um, and I don't feel like I got enough Japan. <laughs> I was、mm. like, oh, okay. But, like, I, I would say it's that for all its, perhaps it's, you know, I don't know if you'd say failings, but like people say that the Japanese aren't represented that well in the film.、Mm-hmm. I would say it's a very accurate representation of in expats. Maybe first few weeks in Japan.、Mm-hmm. Mm. Like that, that would be my, yeah, yeah, yeah. my feeling. Feel, yeah, of, of yeah, being a bit lost in translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, well, yeah, I'm, that's,、uh, that's interesting. I mean,、uh, obviously, it's not、uh, entirely accurate, it's not entirely good、um, in terms of. That, that's what I picked up from there,、um, from what you were saying. Maybe it's not entirely accurate to. To the Japanese experience,、uh, but I'd still be curious to watch it despite、mm. its shortcomings. I'm sure it's probably still a good movie. It's a great movie, and, and I think it, it's very accurate to Sofia Coppola's experience as someone who, I think, because her husband、um, would come and shoot commercials here in Japan, and 
like they'd fly in and out and she'd be stuck at a hotel and so I think I think it's probably very accurate to her experience of Japan. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You, you you mentioned sorry sorry. That's okay. Um, you met you mentioned Sofia Coppola, um, uh, um, her husband, and uh, I think she was dating at one point Quentin Tarantino. So that's a bit of an interesting side note there. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't he dated? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I feel like just about every female comic of a certain age in LA has dated Quentin Tarantino because <laughs> I, I was listening I think um, Margaret Cho was talking about dating him um, and obviously Kathy Griffin dated him because she was in um, Pulp Fiction Pulp Fiction my favourite of all in Tarantino's films yep. oh yeah Kathy Griffin was in that movie oh my god uh, yeah, you're very brief Emma Thurman was dating him right uh, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think she was. But I got, I got a bit of a tangent there in terms of Tarantino. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, okay, so about about Impossible to Imagine. Uh, okay, so, like, that was that was great. The, I, I'm assuming it was B-roll, but I think you got some, uh, I think you got some great shots of just smaller parts of Japan during Impossible. Thank you. I, I really, I really appreciate it. You know, you took you took the time to breathe in terms of those transition shots, and I really, I really liked it. Thanks. Yeah, I I wanted to show the back streets of Japan and mm. not the not the tourist like the postcard. <laughs> That's so easy, right? And mm. Kyoto has so many beautiful spots, the Golden Pavilion and places like that. But mm. around my house between my house and the school that I work at there's all these little back streets that have these beautiful houses mm. and these little shrines so there's that's why there's so many shrines in this film because um, <laughs> there's just so many in Kyoto and they're all so unique uh, yeah I wanted to show that that maybe slightly unseen part of Japan mm. like like you know I, I know that uh, it's like the difference between Aussie films filmed in Australia and you know Aussie films that from the tourist perspective even Crocodile Dundee is like you know all the stereotypical that's not a knife that's a knife (laughs) (laughs) sure yeah but uh, yeah like there are there are there are many kinds of film in terms of you know there are the the films that are made by the people in the country there are the films that um, are purely for the tourists and then then there are the films that are purely to scare the tourists like for example with Wolf Creek <laughs> or Wake and Fright oh yeah I still got to see Wake and Fright okay. however I will disclose one thing I hate when animals get hurt in a movie mm. I hate that yeah. and I hear that in Wake and Fright they actually hunt kangaroos in that movie there's a lot of 70s films that went for the realism aspect uh-huh. I think mm mm yeah, like yeah, a, lo- a lot of video nasties. But again, I'm digressing. I'm sorry. Um, okay, so uh, I was gonna say uh, what else? Well, I yeah, I, I was thinking like uh, with with impossible to imagine. Was there any was there any preparation? Because I was thinking I was thinking as as a budding filmmaker myself, I want to know like you know how long did the actors uh, how long did the actors get to rehearse and mm-hmm. you know all that? Because I was thinking yeah. Anyway, yeah. Great question. Once we got once we got rolling, uh, the way that I filmed was we'd meet up once a month mm. and we'd film generally on a on a Sunday because that's when the tea house was um, empty, and um, so usually the week before 
we would meet at my house, myself and the two main actors, and we would rehearse. And mm. that was so essential because that's when we had a chance to tweak the script and they had a chance to talk with each other and they had a really good chemistry, a really good friendship. Mm. They could talk to each other and Yuki was the experienced actress and mm. she gave William a lot of tips how to how to play the character and um but the very very first day of filming mm. there was no time to prepare because I had actually um two potential actresses to play the part of Ami and the reason why was because I had I had met up with um one actress who actually ends up playing the f- part of the friend Mayuko mm. And she was talented and beautiful and um, she was really keen. And then the very next day I met Yuki and Yuki was like perfect. Yuki fit all the box, like ticked all the boxes mm. that I wanted. Uh, I actually wanted an older actress. I didn't want a 20-year-old. I wanted uh, late 30s, you know. And it was very difficult to find older, um, you know, even... 29, 26, it's very difficult to find uh, an actress because most female actresses in Japan, they they just don't get hired. So they just give up, they do something else. Mm. And and that, sorry, sorry. That's okay. That That is so sad that older people just yeah. don't get hired like that. I mean, yeah. you know, they have plenty of talent. I mean, look at, look at all the men who get hired. You know, Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger is still working. You know, uh, people... You know, if, if Mel Gibson can still have a career, anyone can. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I, yeah, I resent that as well. And and Yuki had had a long, you know, career as a theatre actress and she'd actually put on her own productions because mm. she wasn't getting hired for them. But for the past seven years, she had, you know, basically given up and done other things because mm. she wasn't getting hired. And so then I had these two perfect you know women and I I couldn't decide and so we met on the first day and I, I ran them through and then finally um I can't remember her name she she went by the name Marika but I think I think she changed it because that was just like a stage name mm-hmm. but anyway that the girl who played Maiko in the film just said look actually I'm quite busy so I and I personally think that Yuki is a better actress so I think she should be the main actress and I'll do this other role and then it was quiet. And then the two girls like got out their scripts and and desperately started like memorizing lines. And then like forty five minutes to an hour later, we started shooting. So I hope that you never have to go through that experience. Mm. Like <laughs> yeah, like one of those productions. Like not necessarily one of these productions. Like you know, The Shining. They keep having to change the script every uh, uh, on set. You know and. Uh, you know, like we're we're so lucky. Like none of it turned out like that. None of it turned out like a trouble production. I would assume. Like you know, no one. No. Yeah. That was because when I was watching the behind the scenes on The Shining, I just thought poor Shelley Duvall just looked mm. terrified. Her hair mm-hmm. was falling out. She cried so hard that she just couldn't cry anymore. Oh, it was devastating. Mm. But that is, I feel like, in terms of in terms of that, it's uh, it's. You know, it's good to see how not to do things because then yeah. you can learn. Definitely. And yeah. also, that's the same reason that I that that's the same reason that I am ninety nine percent against censorship of movies and TV because if mm-hmm. if people have done something wrong in the past, 
well, you know, like uh, you, we can learn from it. Don't don't try to delete an episode or whatever. Just let people view it and put a disclaimer in front of it, mm. and and let people view it with that context. Let people see that this is not the right thing to do rather than remove it because if you remove it how are we going to learn you know agreed yeah context is Mm. so important and yeah it's there is a learning opportunity and yeah as you say hopefully we will learn from it and we will Mm. see more um respectful storylines in in the coming years Mm. even troubled celebrities in things like uh you know um, I still, because I have the season three set of The Simpsons, I still have that Michael Jackson episode, and they can't take it away from me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I it's feel a like, lovely uh, episode. Oh yeah, it is. It is mm. pretty good. Um, but uh, yeah, um, we're just uh, so I think that we're going to uh, have to take a break here and continue recording um, the on on a new recording because you know twenty twenty five minute limit. I just want to say mm-hmm. you know. You don't Alrighty want to be then. Something, right? Yeah. Mm. Yes, and mm-hmm. we're going to uh, com- an unofficial commercial break. Barney Square House lowest prices is just the beginning. Alrighty then. Come for the sausage sizzle. Stay for the hardware. <laughs> <laughs> I think you both are like angling for a bit of sponsorship, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully one day. But yeah, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, and others. Welcome back after the imaginary commercial break that I'm now just using as a non sequitur absurdist running gag. <laughs> Alrighty. Hamish, Felicity, we're back. And yeah, so what were we so in terms of in terms of the uh, I, I love I love physical media. We mentioned the DVD and uh, I feel like, you know, it's just a dream to have things on DVD or even in theaters these days. And you were mentioning also the plans for the sequel and Yeah, okay. So so here's my question. Maybe when the sequel releases, I was thinking that would be potentially pretty cool. And just a suggestion, what if there were an option where the two, assuming they're both about 90, maybe 88 minutes each or whatever, um, st- stitch them together is like one three-hour film. Mm. Just as an option. Because I was thinking just uh, just a big, just comp- not quite compilation, but you know, like how The Godfather did back in the VHS days, you know? Mm-hmm. I-, I just thought that'd be really cool. Oh, man! It would be. It would- I will keep that in mind, yes. Um, hopefully the-, the-, the possibility will come that we can do a sequel. And yeah, that would be great. Because impossible to imagine. I was just going to say impossible to imagine. Did really well on the academic circuit before COVID. Yes, and actually, um, I have three possible screenings coming up in in Australia. One in, in RMIT in Melbourne, one mm. Sydney University, and the Japan Society in <gasps> Tasmania. Amazing. Yeah. It's all, so, yeah, so it's coming back. So I hope that, yeah, that COVID numbers in Australia, because I know that Melbourne's going through a bit of a, a, a blip at the moment. So mm. Wait, wait, did you say Tasmania? Yeah, yeah, Tassie. Yep. Oh, wow. Well, Are you in Tasmania? Um, I'm not in Tasmania. I'm in Sydney. I just I just mm. thought it was amazing that you got a festival in Australia. That's all. Mm. Yeah, they're, yeah, the, um, 
the Tasmanian ones, the Japan Society one, and that was through a mutual friend. So that was really that was really lucky. But like you were saying before, with the physical media and the screenings, um, yes, having having a screening of the film is is such an amazing feeling. Having I... sorry, yeah. Yeah, like sharing it with like a, a big group of people all at once. It's for me. It's really, it's really nerve wracking as well. But um, yeah, I just love talking with people afterwards and and having had that experience. So yeah, I because you've had it. panels afterwards, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. I actually, uh, I actually had a thing of my own in terms of a uh, cinema premiere, not of something I created, but of something that I did a voice acting thing in. Oh. I, I did, uh, I did a voice for a, a cartoon that's being sold to primary schools here in Australia called Timmy the Turtle. <gasps> Ooh. And uh, it's not going to be available on YouTube or anything. It's literally being sold to public schools, which mm. I don't even have a copy of the, of the thing. It's like seven minutes, um, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, um, it's by an Australian organization, Autism Mates, that mm. uh, that helped get the thing off the ground uh, among some other people whose names I, I unfortunately can't remember right now. I'm sorry. But uh, okay, so I, I did the voice because it was an anti-bullying sort of thing. And I was like... You know, I did the voice, you're not a fish! You don't belong out here in a party in the ocean! Or something like that. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Some, something very similar. Um, uh-huh. I was playing the bully character, and that's what he sounded like. That's great. <laughs> I'll have to keep you in mind if I have any... Like, do you have a range, though? Like, do you have other voices? Um, well, uh, it's been a while since I've done my Sean Connery impression. Would you like me to... Um, would it be okay to do the Sean Connery one? Do you think that there's been enough time? Uh, I think yeah there's probably been enough time and I always whenever I've done an impression I've always had respect always yes okay mm. yeah I'd love to hear it that's a Smith and Wesson and you've had your six it's brilliant it is brilliant it's so good so Mickey what would you like to do yeah what's up back? I'm not Mickey I'm Bud <laughs> <laughs> I'm clapping <laughs> You can't see me, but I'm applauding. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can, you know, I, I actually, because I was thinking, uh, I, I love, I think I love voice acting even, like, even more than live action acting in my case, because I'm actually going to do a live action thing um, about, I'm going to do it for the NDIS in Australia, a disability service thing, and I'm going to play mm. a guy with I'm going to play a guy who is on the autism spectrum, but mm. uh, has higher needs than myself. Ah. And I'll be filming it next week as a recording, and uh, I'll be doing that for their website, which uh, I'm sure will probably be accessible whenever um, after that. And it's going to be fun filming, and I... Mm-hmm. Um, this this character gets a bit volatile, so he, he gets to throw stuff around the room, which... Mm. Well, let's be honest. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit of fun throwing some stuff around the room. You gonna but, have break some sugar glass? Um, probably not. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think there was a I think there was a student film once that that I was doing in a in a workshop, and uh, <laughs> I I played a crazy newscaster in that one, and I literally for some reason they had some sugar sticks there, so I ripped open open seven of them to see, to show how crazy he was, and just swallowed all of them. <laughs> Dude, I love it. You're like, yeah, committed. 
Yeah. That's awesome. I, I hope, I hope you, that... Sorry, yeah? I was just going to say that you once... Uh, you know, when with one of our radio plays, you like completely went back and sung the whole radio play. I did. I could only do that because I had the whole script in front of me. <laughs> uh, committed. I have to come to Australia and get something done. We'll have to collaborate more. Yes. Yeah. I've always I've always been open to collaborating with filmmakers. You know, like uh, I just I would love to potentially i would i would love to potentially have a, a cross-country collaboration from mm. from me in australia to you know probably mm. probably both of you guys in japan mm-hmm. you know or something like that that that'd be awesome like i just yeah. love how interconnected the world is i love how you can just make some you can film some stuff in australia you can film some stuff mm-hmm. in japan you can stitch it together it's just fantastic what do you what do you think of the social media age it, it has bad but it has good what do you think of the good I agree completely. I think like the thing that I like the best about this pandemic, and there's not much, but I do like Zoom. And mm. I like the fact that you can Zoom with all these different, you know, uh, workshops and webinars. There's stuff happening in Australia. There's a writing group. All right, they're Zooming. I can join it. There's one exactly. happening in Tokyo. I can join it. They're usually face to face, but now it's online. I can connect. I love it. I love, mm, I love that too and you know you did mention my film Mutter and Vanilla at the beginning and I did yes that, that's been filmed in well all the different places that we've done it it's because of COVID the ADR was done in Tokyo um, the bulk of the film's been done in Osaka um, we've had uh, a couple of scenes shot in LA Mm-hmm. A guy did a uh, voiceover in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, one of the actors did a voiceover in Sydney. Oh, so, you know, it's uh, it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to be limited. You yeah. know, like it, like you know, like I, I feel like Matcha and Vanilla in some ways has. Is like a kind of like a James Bond type film because it's got all these different units all over the world. Oh, but you don't have to. It doesn't have to be like a two hundred million dollar budget. It can be a sixteen thousand dollar budget. You know, it doesn't. Wow, that's wow, that's impressive. Doesn't wow. have to be, you know, because you know, and and like with Felicity. You, because you filmed over the, the entire year, you were able to show the four seasons in the film, yeah. which was so beautiful, which you yeah. wouldn't have been able to do if you were like some big Hollywood production. No. Yeah, you know. no, it was a really, like Hamish actually told me to do that. that like just like when I was thinking about how I was going to do it um, and a lot of films are shot over like two weeks or ten days and yeah, mm. Hamish, like you don't want to be stressed you want it to be you know fun you want it to be like not stressful so yeah. just on the weekend that's and right hire local film mm-hmm. on the weekends mm-hmm. you'll be able to edit and which is exactly what you did and yeah. you're you're you know you're able to make your film relatively stress-free and yeah. it was a you know and you finished it in a year as opposed to four years <laughs> so <laughs> you know as opposed to me who was like you know i'm gonna you know shoot it in like four days and then shoot it another four days and then 
but that was a learning experience as well like it I think really that was. you went into it wanting to make uh to have that learning experience and mm. wanting to make an improv film but Definitely. then doing it in Japanese of course there's it's very difficult because mm. um you know, there's just that, that huge language barrier. I don't think you'd do an improv film in that style again, right? No, 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 I wouldn't. I mean, I, I still want to incorporate improv because I, I love improv. It's mm. just uh, the way I would incorporate it is probably like I would have a script, everything would be organised, and then I would do the takes I want to take, and then I would say, okay, and let's do one more take and yeah. go at it, you know, have... You take it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what 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 uh, the director for the Birdcage did was uh, he, you know, he had Robin Williams and Tal mm. promise that uh, well they got to do this uh, one take as the script says, and then every other take could be mm. whatever they wanted. Yeah. Well, exactly. If you got Robin Williams, right? You know, you can't really constrict him to a script. No, no. You wouldn't it, want to. No. Like, I mean, yeah. they could they could be a bit more free. I guess they had they had because uh, the film was rated R in the US uh, mm-hmm. under that uh, under that stupid thing where if you say too much language, you get an R, and you're the same rating as Kill Bill or Hostel. It's, it's yeah, it's hard to. But then that that's their culture, you know. We we as Australians look at them and go like, well, no, what. What, why is this film with a couple of people smoking rated R and then this film where all these people die PG-13? Ooh. But that's, that's America, you know? That's, that's you know, the, the MPAA is reflecting the culture and making recommendations based on that so yeah like i think i think if you released impossible to imagine there because impossible to imagine because i was thinking if you were hypothetically to make it eligible in the calendar year for academy awards you'd have to release it somewhere in america and america doesn't take kindly to unrated films so you'd have to put it through the system and stuff and i think you'd probably end up with a pg in that system Mm. yeah probably i mean i considered it um, I don't remember how much it what it is, but it's like three hundred dollars or five hundred. It's you have to pay for the cinema, mm. you have to pay for the reviewers, the yeah time, mm. and then I think it's seven hundred dollars. And wow. yeah, so I mean it's a chunk of money, especially when you consider that I made the film for um, around ten thousand dollars Australian. Mm. Oh, yeah, right. um, that's a sizable even... chunk of the budget. Yeah, it's it's like just a little less than a tenth of the budget. So mm. that like that that budget's even less than Paranormal Activity. I'm 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 really impressed about that. I mean, I love I love filmmakers who can just make use of every dollar, and it feels like you have. You know, I just I love things like that. It's it's always good to know that it's up on the screen, right? Yeah. So again, sorry if I phrase things awkwardly there. I. Yeah. I'm just thinking because um, I want to, of course, like shout out all the actors because the only way that I could make this film for ten thousand dollars was that the majority of people worked for free. Oh, you know, the wow. main actors, the main actors got paid, um, but not much. And then it was like kind of typical things like transport and food. The crew okay. were all volunteers. The crew were people who just wanted to be part of the film, who wanted mm. to be part of that experience. 
or who are friends. Um, we do stuff on each other's projects. Um, exactly. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's this phenomenon that the, the you know, the other people like Cody, I forgot his last name, Cody Clark. Like uh, of Kill the Lion films, right? That's right. And so his his movement is like truly independent filmmaking. And Dan Lotz, his uh-huh. idea is like folk filmmaking. And really what Felicity and I are doing is folk filmmaking. You know, we're, you know, we're creating this community here in Kansai. And with, you know, we're not, I mean, I, I got a little bit of money from outside, but, you know, we're, we're basically we're doing truly independent film. You know, it's not like the the faux independent of, hey, uh, Miramax or whoever is going to give us, you know, a million dollars. I would say Miramax is a bit, I don't know, I don't know where they are in terms of indie or studio, but, you know, I, I know what you mean. People like uh, Fox Searchlight or, or Focus Features or whatever. By the way, I refuse to call 20th Century Fox 20th Century Studios because it just feels wrong. <laughs> what about Warner Media? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a, a company that owns Warner Brothers. So right. yeah, um, yeah, Warner but Brothers. In um, any case, like we're doing it out of the studio system. Completely, yeah. It's yeah. it's very much just by ourselves. And I mean, I, I think that from what I've spoken with other indie filmmakers, that um, having a budget is, of course, what we all want. We want to be mm. able to pay people. We want to be able to. Um, you know, put that money into a, into a great film. But then once you are using other people's money, it comes with a lot of strings attached and a lot of mm. other voices in that creative process. And it can exactly. make things a lot more stressful. Um, mm. And even I have filmmaker friends who do not have good memories and do not did not have a good experience making their indie films because they had lots of fights with production over how the money was going to be spent. And I feel like, yeah, I've, with Impossible to Imagine, I managed to avoid that. It was a, a joyful experience. It was a mm. lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I'm still talking to my actors. I'm still talking to all the crew. <laughs> 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 We're all still friends. So, mm. yeah, if possible. Like, I, my husband, you know, has said that he'd probably invest if I made another film. Um, and, I, you know, putting my own money into it again and crowdfunding maybe a little bit but yeah i'd like to try and stay independent if possible Mm. yeah like i I think that's i think that's the key for filmmakers i mean you know make it on whatever budget you can get but also like uh, i i never you know maybe occasionally if i have to to fund projects i might direct or write for the studio system hypothetically but i would love to just have the freedom of someone like you know um if if I was in the big leagues, I would hopefully be like Christopher Nolan, who has like total creative freedom on a massive budget, you know. Mm. But then, you know, you gotta but he he paid his dues though, with like following and memento yeah. and insomnia. Like he did all of that before he did Batman. Yeah, like... and uh, that company that I think it was New Market Films that mm. did Memento. Um, they uh, also funded Donnie Darko and I really like that film and I you know I, I feel like any success of a company allows other good projects to be made mm-hmm. mm, exactly but look Hollywood if you're listening we're all willing to sell out 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and we might be we might be cheaper than you think. <laughs> yeah, make make one independent film, and they'll pick you for the next Jurassic Park or something. <laughs> I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah, I mean, you know, ideally, I think that uh, the most successful of the uh, the most successful of the major studi- studios would probably be Universal, but only because of Blumhouse. Because Blumhouse, of course, I I know Felicity, you said before the call, uh, sorry, podcast, you said before the podcast that you weren't really a horror fan. Um, but uh, you know, Blumhouse, they've made a great thing off horror, as you probably know, and low budgets, total creative freedom, limited locations. Um, and they get to release a lot of them through the studio system, which uh, allows wider exposure for low-budget films. So ideally, mm. something like that would happen. I think. What do you think? Ideally. Ideally, that would be good. Yeah, I mean, I, I was reading um, a biography recently of um, Nicholas Meyer, who directed some of the Star Trek films. Oh, yeah. And it seems like at least at, at some points, or maybe, uh, you know, just... Mm right time right place you do get a lot of creative freedom mm. um, and you know being a director means that that you get the final say that would be wonderful mm. oh yeah definitely definitely um i was i was gonna say yeah um i i just i just love that i just love that where we all have the privilege to have total creative freedom you know i just i just love working outside the studio and there's such a difference because films outside the studio more often than not they just feel more, more personal than the big leagues you know it's mm-hmm. just we, we like we just don't want to sell out to uh not that big franchises are bad but you know you really see the personal films in the indie circuit really mm. yeah because the big ones are made by a committee they're not really made by an individual mm. Um, where I will disagree, however, and I'm wondering what your take is on this, um, after the commercial break, because it's at the end of the recording, sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. It goes past that. Back after the imaginary commercial break, we have both people here, and it's impossible to imagine this episode without them. See what I did there? Oh, oh well done. Nice. Yeah. Oh, so professional. Right. Yes. <laughs> You've done this before, haven't you? <laughs> How many I episodes mean, is it now? Like hundred, over a hundred. Uh, over a hundred, one hundred thirty-five. I was mentioning, uh, you know, I was mentioning during the. I cut this from the final episode, um, but uh, I'm going to mention it here in the final episode. Um, you know, the final version. Yeah, you know what I mean. Hmm. But uh, I used to work daily with this podcast. I used to do that every single day. And I decided I just got exhausted with it. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it every week now. So, yeah. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. So I was thinking, uh, I was thinking, was was post-production relatively quick on, uh, on the movie? Um... Yes, I, I think so. Um, because because of the way that we filmed, having the monthly filming, I had a chance to edit within that month. And that was incredibly helpful because um, there were times that I might think, we need to reshoot this. And then I could, I could factor that into the next shooting. Or, yeah, it gave me a chance to, to start putting things together and, and thinking about, you know, I didn't actually go into the film with a full script. I oh. had general I had I had scenes um and then 
scenes were written in later scenes were moved around um yeah so even even towards the end when was when was the time you came over to my house hamish was that in october or september it would have been about october yeah so that was an example of after we had wrapped within <laughs> july you thought you'd wrapped <laughs> Yeah, never, ever, <laughs> never have a rap party. It's another quote. <laughs> With my advice to any budding, budding directors. But yeah, we wrapped in July. And then um, I think I showed Hamish, I showed Hamish the film. And, mm. and then Hamish was like, you're not finished yet. Well, yeah. You need I, more you need William. Yeah, you need a few more. It's it just ends too quickly, and mm. I, it, it took me probably about three hours to work through. Ah. Deep breath, and then I was just like, "Mish is so right." And and we yeah, so we filmed a, another scene here, and um, Hamish came out that day, and then we filmed some more scenes in November mm. um, that were towards the end of the film. Mm. And then we premiered in February. So I think the lot, the things that took the longest and uh, were the color grading and the audio. And when I say longest, like by no means did they take a long time. The two, um, the two people doing that did a stellar job because you know nobody's working full time. Mm. Uh, everybody's fitting this in with their full time. You know their day, their day jobs. Mm. Um, so yeah, to have the f- the film shot and and finished within a year, I think is uh, you know an incredible achievement and, and yeah. by a lot of those people who put in their time to get it done. It's amazing. I, I, I love I love the fact you did it in in a, in a year. I mean, you know, like the, usually when you're shooting around work schedules and weekends and stuff, you know, stuff like I've not seen these two, but Chris Nolan's Following or uh, Peter Jackson's I think it was Bad Taste, mm-hmm. um, where they filmed every weekend for a few years. You know, like uh, yeah. it's just it's just so much easier to afford supplies now, and especially when you're not doing a genre piece like that. You know, I think sure. so. I think so. We were talking. Um, like before we started this tonight about like different equipment like film and digital and stuff like that and having digital it's just it just makes things so fast you know you can Mm -hmm. film and then you can chuck it on the computer and you can cut it it's just so I couldn't imagine what it must have been like Uh, you know like Sam Raimi on the first Evil Dead film uh, which you know is just an amazing film but that that would have that would have just you know the cutting and getting all the equipment out there and just just incredible oh yeah i mean recasting several times over i i i love i love the evil dead because of its creativity i love the entire franchise really Mm -hmm. except for that one scene they should have cut out but anyway i'm gonna move on from that (laughs) um but uh yeah i was gonna say uh yeah the first one was a real example of creativity and they were shooting on 16 and i just love the way they built the cabin themselves that is Uh just I, you know, even for my own project, um, one of my, I, I think a horror project I came up with was, uh, I was going to mostly set it in a cabin that I, mm-hmm. that I hopefully wanted to build somewhere, but I wasn't sure about yet. But yeah, I was thinking because one location films especially, and that's what Evil Dead really is, a one location film, that really allows you to uh, use the space for all it's worth. And I mm. feel like you can do that, especially in thrillers and action and whatever. But, you know, even even a dramatic scene in like a comedy drama or just drama or whatever, you know, 
I mean, yeah. Reservoir Dogs, another great example of one room. I'm sorry, I'm talking too much again. I'm sorry. No. It's such a good film, yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Mm. Like, I, I do I do have a... I think I have a few issues with Tarantino and his methods sometimes, but then I really... I do like most of his films that I've seen. So, Machiavellian, does it... The end justifies the means. Mm. Maybe... <laughs> So I was going to say, were there any, were there any, speaking of influences, because I know Quentin had a lot of influences on his films, but Felicity, did you have any particular influences in terms of films on Impossible to Imagine? I think there's probably two big ones. Uh, The Richard Linklater Before Sunrise series, where it's a lot of, you know, the city is part of it's a character and mm. I want Kyoto to be a character in this story and there's a lot of long walking and talking scenes in um, Before Sunrise and then I wanted to um, do that in this film as well mm. I wanted there to be lots of lots of walking outdoor scenes which my sound operator hated me for because <laughs> um, <laughs> you got the boom and you're walking backwards and I was walking backwards with the gimbal and um but we pulled it off mm. and the other one the other probably the big influence was Looking for Alabrandi by Kate Woods <sighs> um, the director oh, and Melina Marchetta the, the author mm. what a what a incredible film um an incredible story of of you know a girl who has this italian family this italian heritage but she's in australia she's going to this this school where she doesn't really feel like she fits in because it's very you know waspy and (laughs) and white and and i think that watching that film when it came out and i was 15 and really you know i I grew up in Mackay, which is uh, a city that has a lot of italian maltese greek um descendants and a lot of my friends and my classmates were probably in a similar situation to what um Josie was mm. it gave me real insight into into that um feeling of not really fitting in even though you're in your own country and then yeah I've come to Japan and I'm working with these kids who who are in Josie's situation you know mm. and I, I think that that film has had a big um, quiet, but a, a big impact on on me as a filmmaker and storyteller. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Sadly, I've not seen that one. I really want to though. Like, I, I want to obviously see as many films as possible. But mm. I have, I like. It's kind of sad how many films I've not seen yet. Um, but uh, did you yeah. read the book, George? Because I know I, for me it was a um, what do you call it? One of the is it year 11 or year 12? It was one of those um, I, I other read, books that I had to read for school. It was a, it was a great book. Oh, yeah. I, I, I read books occasionally. Like, mm. very... Like, I, I'm not really a big reader, per se. Mm-hmm. But the most of the reading I do is, like, online, ironically. Because, you know, Twitter and researching movies and liking posts and, <laughs> you know, various things. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I do have to read that shout out list. That's the most reading I do in a week, usually. You <laughs> <laughs> excel at that. So. Mm. I mean, how old are you? Um, I am uh, 19 years old. Um, I know someone's going to hate me for saying that. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I think you would enjoy it then because it is, it is a teen. It's more of a teen film. Mm. Uh, and I'm really grateful I watched it when I was 15. 
and that that's why I think I could relate really well because you know Josie was in grade 12 mm. and these kind of like um, moments of of becoming more independent and and kind of finding yourself as a person not just um you know not just your cultural identity but who are you really as an as a, as a person mm. so yeah I would watch it before you get too much older <laughs> I, I mean a, a good a good film will appeal to you um from the you know whenever if you're a teenager or adult it'll just appeal to you you know a good film like sure some films might be aimed to more more mature audience, not in terms of content but mm. in terms of 40 somethings or something or 30 somethings or whatever but, but a good film is a good film that's you know? true but some some films are, are like a, a time capsule like for me like i i watched Greece on repeat after uh, my final exams and like I was in that in between of having finished school and about to go to university and it was perfect absolutely perfect for that moment because that's basically what the film was about is that that moment of like you know you're about to graduate and you're about to go off and do something else um, whereas if I try and watch it now, it's like, oh, this movie's not all that great. Well, <laughs> it's got a few catchy songs, but it's, you I know, mean... but at a point in time, it was, you know, it was everything I needed it to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I feel looking for Ella Brandy is. And mm. I, as you said, like, with the time capsule comment, it is a very 90s film as mm. well. It has such a 90s soundtrack, but it's it, oh, I love it so much. I actually bought it on DVD like two years ago because nice. I had to own it. I had to have it because it's not on streaming. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I can't not be able to watch Looking for Ella Brandy uh, anytime, you know, I, I have the, the urge. So I now have a DVD. <laughs> no DVD player. I'm going to have to work on that. My, my advice would be to, if you can, get a region-free uh, Blu-ray player. I, I know those exist out there. Get a region-free Blu-ray player and you'll be able to play almost anything apart from, you know, the 4K discs, you know. Mm. I myself go for physical because, one, they can't take things away. Two, they uh, it's just better to carry a disc and feel like you own it. And three, I just wanted to briefly say I've got a collection of, of over 800 movies in that room over there. I travel a lot I move around a lot I can't have too much but when it comes to Australian stuff for whatever reason you can't get it on it's not it's not around so like um, Secret Life of Us exactly Farscape, um, Sea Change you can't watch these things um, on streaming at all and they're fantastic mm. available damn it oh, yeah. they really should I would like Screen Australia to do like their own streaming platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I want to go back to I want to go back to Greece for a minute because uh, a film that had a similar feeling in me. Like I still really like the film. Um, mm. I love Greece for the record. It's one of my favorite musicals, despite its <laughs> awful, awful message. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the uh, Stand by Me. I, I like that. Did you hear the motorcycle go past? <laughs> I, As you were saying, talking about Chris, I I did not. Oh I, no, that would have been me, good if you. Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> also. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> the speed tribes. Anyway, sorry, George. Go ahead. Ah, right. Yeah. Um, as you were saying with Greece, um, that happened to me with Stand By Me. I first saw it when I was 12 mm. and uh, it was just after I went. I was about to go to high school the next year, and I, yeah. 
um, uh, that was Stand By Me was really a time and a place. I know it was 50s, but it was still kids hanging out, having an adventure and uh, stuff like that. That is a great film, though. Oh, yeah. There's some things that haven't aged all that well, but it is a great film. Like, Sixteen Candles has just not aged well. Like, it just has not. Like, no, it I, hasn't. Not, not that I like that movie to begin with, but... <laughs> no. But then something something like The Breakfast Club is more manageable, because you have that little bit that's aged, but then the rest is still gold. Mm. Oh, I, didn't, I did not like The Breakfast Club at really? all. Really? No, it was too... It was... It was... It, I felt that it hadn't aged well, and I felt that it was very, um, just unpleasant. I didn't really understand why. I never watched it prior. I think if I'd watched it growing up, maybe I'd have that nostalgia kind of uh. bit. A bit like maybe some of his other films, like Ferris Bueller, which, you know, I still really enjoy. But mm. um, no, I didn't like The Breakfast Club. I was like, oh, it just fair, fair enough. I have, I have some... I personally have some unpopular opinions about movies. I don't like Alien 3. I don't like Pretty Woman. I don't like Natural Born Killers. I don't like Indy 4, which actually not like the Indiana Jones 4 is pretty popular though. Um, I didn't I didn't care much for Copland, surprisingly. I feel like I could have watched that again because some of it seemed good. Mm. But uh, yeah, um, 16 Candles, no, no, way, way too creepy. The men were too creepy in that. Mm. And yeah. So I just thought, you know, even when I tried to rewatch uh, Curly Sue when it appeared on Channel 9, mm-hmm. oh boy, you really think that manipulative music is going to make me cry because you have manipulative music and no substance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I well... mean, I've, I've only cried a few times in a movie. Schindler's List, The Elephant Man, and Toy Story 3. Mm-hmm. Good, good list. There you go. It's... It. As opposed to mine, which are beaches and the bodyguard. <laughs> oh. Dude, I cry at anything. I yeah. cry at Facebook videos. Oh. oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I'm very sensitive. Oh. I'm to manipulation, but yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I wanted to go back to uh, I wanted to go back to the before trilogy, and uh, you said the walking and talking was a big influence on Impossible to Imagine, and also I was thinking because the I, I noticed Richard tended to do it in uh, in single takes, which I really I really like when people just use single takes and cut when they need to. That's just like you know I feel like there are way too many cuts in modern cinema, whether the movie's good or bad, unless. I'm not suggesting I'm not suggesting everyone go to the extreme of Birdman and make it look all like one take or whatever, but mm. you know, I, I'm just thinking, why don't people pick back up longer takes? You know, I think just people have shorter attention spans. Like when I watch films from the '80s and '90s, and they have these very long opening credit sequences. To be honest, I get fidgety, and mm. but I appreciate it at the same time because, um, you know often that's a little bit part of the storytelling but i just think to myself this would never fly these days mm. uh, you know five minute opening credit sequence with the name scrolling past right I, I still i still love that one out of vertigo though like saul bass just does great title sequences it's amazing but i you know i think it's comes from like um what do you call them the recitals like uh you know, when you go to watch a classical music performance, the first song they always perform is this really soothing 
slow, sleepy, sleepy song, and they they just lull you to sleep, and then they crash the cymbals, boom, you're awake, and then suddenly, like, for the rest of the time, you're kind of in the world of the the orchestra, and I I think that's kind of what those five minute opening sequences used to do at least for me I mean but I know I feel the same way though Felicity I feel a bit fidgety when I'm watching them at home I always do like when they put the credits at the beginning because you know you have at least people see who worked on the film because if you (laughs) put too much at the end you know think about it people are just walking out mostly because unless you're unless you're like me who stays to see if there's any post-credit scenes or (laughs) But uh, yeah, people, not many people seem to watch the credits, you know, uh, uh, unless you're at the start, like in the fantastic, one of the best, ri- one of the best written films, All About Eve. Love mm. the writing in that movie. Mm. But yeah, um, that's actually, I feel like I can, I, I feel like All About Eve is, uh, yeah, um, good, good writing. They they don't do anything too flashy visually. Um, that's an interesting way to uh, that's an interesting way to take it as well. I mean, when you when you're going for a more minimalist play like thing, you know. Mm. What do you think? Well, you can read my article all about it. The minutes will fly away like hours. Oh, hours? Oh no! Don't sell yourself short. <gasps> that's a quote from the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember fastening your seatbelts. I remember, I think I remember there was a monologue about it's, it's theatre for someone, which is a great monologue. Yes. Uh, Lucy, have you seen all about him? No, but I've written it down. I'm definitely going to watch it. Uh, oh. Next time I see you, I'll give you the DVD. Oh, thank you. I'll have a DVD player by then. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I, uh... I've got to plug in one for the computer. So, mm. so that's all right. That's and, all I and have. And that, that brings me into another thing, which uh, I... I want to talk about, just for a minute, the physical media release of Impossible to Imagine after we come back from this commercial break. Apologies that there's a segment missing here, unfortunately. We were talking about the DVD release of Impossible to Imagine and how great it was that uh, films are still being released on DVD and all that, and physical media, and I was just reiterating um, how much we love physical media. And I'm not sure how much of that made it into the episode. And yeah, apologies because that segment went missing during editing. So I'm just putting this little uh, editor's note right here. Uh, you know, the Marvel films are uh, the Marvel films are more common to no, not more common to the Marvel the Marvel films are like theme park rides rather than cinema. <laughs> and I absolutely just don't agree with that because you know everything, whether you like it or not, is art. And I've said that before on the podcast. But I want to know where you stand on that. Oh, I guess I'll go first and I'll say that there depends on the film. I mean, I'd say like uh, Mad Max Fury Road is a theme park ride. Mm -hmm. You know, you you know, you strap yourself in and George Miller begins the ride and zoom and off you go. So I I can understand what Martin says about that. Um, But I, I would say like you, George. I think there are films that get made that have substance, we'll say. Hmm. Like, uh, I think the some of the biggest films that have substance, most of the Pixar films, really, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Felicity. What so we're talking you? about how 
Marvel films are a bit of a theme park ride. Mm. According to Scorsese. Yeah, I'm, I, th- you know, they're popcorn, a bit like, yeah, Fury Road. I love Fury Road. It's such mm-hmm. a good film, and I really do enjoy that ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've watched the Marvel films, usually on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're enjoyable. You know, they're, um, they've got a, a story, and, and, you know, you have to watch a lot of them to get to the, the big ones, but. Mm-hmm. Well, of course. It gives more time for character development. Yeah. Sorry, continue. I, I don't know. I'm not really um, maybe the audience for Marvel films, but I definitely have like friends and coworkers who love them. So maybe yeah, maybe it it can come down to to taste. But yeah, hopefully like because they're called tentpole films, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. they will allow the studios to have that capacity to have the smaller ones. And I mean, there's been a lot of um, you know big name smaller films like. Um, you know, Nomadland and mm. um, Moonlight, Parasite, Moonlight, mm. that have been made and have you know been critically acclaimed, and yeah, so hopefully the studios won't shy away from from those, and the the tentpole films can can help fund them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I I I like I like thinking of it that way. Yeah, because some people say, for example, with the Criterion Collection, they uh, sometimes have a few more popular films in there. That, that uh, help funds the more obscure films mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I, I have a region free blu-ray player um, in this house so yeah I actually I, I actually have a few criterions myself so which is pretty cool mm. I just you know, yeah. yeah yeah I would love a boutique label that could just highlight independent films that uh, wasn't one of the semi big ones like Madman or, or Umbrella or whatever but uh, you know something mm-hmm. like I don't know Definitely. And look, it's great, George, um, a platform like your podcast, which is Mm -hmm. doing the same thing for us. Every little bit of promotion helps. Mm. And every little bit gets, you know, gets you to an audience that maybe that you didn't touch before, you didn't reach before. So, yeah. So definitely thank you for having us on. And it's been it's been really fun. My first podcast. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have I have gone on for quite a long time. That's uh, I again I must apologize for that. Probably, um, it's it's probably you know like uh, I I've I've had I've had a lot I've had a lot of fun, but I didn't want to keep you up too late since it's like what time is it over there? Just hit ten. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. But uh, yeah, I just I I love I love interviewing uh, people who love film like we do. I I love. I just I just love all that. I, I love the opportunity to interview a filmmaker. I love the opportunity to interview a producer. You know, Hamish, um, I've collaborated with you plenty of times over on the Fizz podcast. That's right, the unofficial third member. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you, you've you've collaborated with us so often now. Yeah. If if either if either of you want to collaborate here again, um, you know you Felicity uh, Beck, any of you, any of you, yeah, anytime, anytime. That's obvious. Like anytime you want, I will happily have you on the podcast. Hey, looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it has been a lot of fun just chatting. It's great. Yeah. So yeah, here's here's your episode about female filmmakers. Um, in a way, sort of, kind of. Um, oh, I, Felicity is female. She's a filmmaker. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's what I meant. You know, like, it, it was... We have a female filmmaker, and... But we also talked about other things, so it wasn't entirely about female filmmakers. But this is the closest the podcast will likely get to an episode about female filmmakers, I think. Until I, now. Unless, unless I'm proven wrong later by myself. <laughs> later. Glad to represent, for now. Alrighty! Woo! So, yeah. If you want to inspire, create, innovate, electrify, we need your voice because you can change things for the better. Now go change things for the better. Peace out. Woo! Yay! And we're clear. That's a really cool sign-off. I Yeah, I need some tips. I'm really terrible at signing off. I usually, like, I plan out my opening patter for my interviews. I plan out the questions, and then I get to the end of it, and I'm like, oh, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> um, by, by the way, George, can we, could we add in, like, or can Felicity add in, like, where people can find the film? Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, yeah, I'm still recording after I'm all. still recording. So... Um, so Felicity, where can people find the movie? So it's streaming on Amazon Prime in most countries, um, England, Canada, uh, US, Australia, Japan, and then everywhere else it's on Vimeo. And uh, yeah, in, a, in the US you can also uh, order the DVD. But George, you said you got one, so obviously in Australia you can buy um, it. Actually, I, I apologize, I don't have the, I, I saw it. I saw it through Amazon. So you can, yeah, you saw it. So yeah, so yeah, so please, um, yeah, just Google "impossible to imagine" and it should hopefully pop up. Hmm. And and what's your? Sorry to take over, George. What's your <laughs> YouTube channel? Uh, my YouTube channel is Where Next Japan, and I'm also on all the socials: uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, under the same where next japan um handle that's right because that's where you can see third culture kids right that's right and uh other videos about what it's like to live in japan and um other videos about identity um there's one about changing your citizenship to to be japanese if you're interested in that so yeah yeah and uh i will be hopefully pre-recording a ton of stuff for youtube um um, as I as I've announced before, but I'm still trying to work on things. I am uh, currently there are five videos at the Film Geek Collective channel. Um, I did my last one on Black Lives Matter, which I had good intentions. I support Black Lives Matter. You know, I I, I, I do support it, but I'm not sure my video was entirely great. But yeah, the other four ones they're they're still there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Just so yeah. Onwards and upwards. Yeah. So there you go. That's uh, that's all I said. You can find me on Twitter as well. I have a link tree now beneath my bio, which is good. Um, I link tree saves my life. I swear. But they are the, useful. Yeah. Felicity, you have to. I think you have to yeah, get one soon. You, mm. you told me I haven't done it yet. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, and of, and of course I publish a link every week. Um, that's in my link tree as well. And yeah, also I do some reviews for films that I first see on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's under short movie reviews in the link tree. So there you go. Um, and we need your voice because you can change things for the better. Woo! Alright. Nice. Sorry about that, George. Just All good. Because it, it is Felicity's first podcast. And All good. Yes. I do a little bit of, going to be the, a little bit of the, the sales, sales rep. 
Hamish is so good at remembering these things. It's been just a, such a lifesaver for promoting the film. I wouldn't have gotten half as many reviews or anything if it wasn't for Hamish. Yeah. Hey, just, just a question. Can I keep this all in? Yeah, go for it. Okay, cool. Um, in that case, I should, I should probably not, I should, I should probably not leave the listeners hanging on too long. Sorry. Mm. You can edit this in a different order. Fair, fair enough. I mean, uh, I just. I, I just, I just, yeah, I, I did the sign off. I just thought, you know, um, do you want to go, do you want to go back to Zoom just so I can stop the recording? Sure. Yeah. Cool.